Amen. Hey, good morning, church. How is everybody this morning? All right, let's try it again. How are we doing this morning, church? I know we're tired from worship, but come on, we're still in the same, same vein. We're in the same vein. My name is AJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Covenant Church. We're talking about faith this morning. Title of the message is Put Some Faith on It. Can somebody say, Put Some Faith on It? All right, all right. We're going to be in Matthew 17. Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, oh, you faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and he came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Let's pray. Father God, we invite you in this morning to open our ears and open our eyes to see and to hear what you are speaking to us today. Holy Spirit, come and have your way among your people. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Um, you may not know this about me, and my guess is that you probably couldn't tell it just by looking at me, uh, but I love to cook. I love cooking. Uh, I love everything about it. I love picking out the ingredients at the store. I love learning new recipes. I love chopping and dicing. I love throwing oil in a pan and all of that. I love the aromas, the smell. I love the family environment, man. People moving and eating and snacking and hanging out in the kitchen. And then, of course, I love the finished product. I mean, you get all this work, but then you get a great meal at the end of it. It's actually a way I distress. It's just something for me. It's focused. It's easy. It's creative. It's fun. I love to do it. I mean, we had, uh, we had Pastor Tellus over uh, a couple weeks back, and we went out to my basil plant in my backyard, and we harvested that thing. We made some homemade pesto. Then we, then we hand-rolled our own pasta dough and put it in the spinner, and I made my secret uh, pasta sauce, which is honestly, I call it a pasta sauce. It almost makes it sound like not that exciting. You ain't never taste anything like this. I'm just going to say that. Am I right? Come on. You, yeah, I'm right. Just saying. I love to cook. I love to cook. Um, and any great chef, if you've ever, I like to watch chefs and chef shows, and my wife got me a master class from Gordon Ramsay, and so I, I love this stuff just to learn about it. Any great chef will tell you that the key to great cooking is great ingredients. Great ingredients. No matter how much you know, if you don't have the right ingredients, I mean, the food, the dish is a reflection of what you put in it. So you got to have great ingredients. And I got to tell you, I just came into some of the finest produce this side of Northern Virginia because last week I was gifted an infamous $700 squash from Pastor Brett's garden. My, 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 my. I got a $400 bell pepper, a $350 tomato and green beans that are going for $25 a piece. You want to talk about locally sourced, farm-to-table, organic? I know the farmer. 
You can't find produce better than this. But the truth is, a raw vegetable is only so good. I mean, it's good. Great ingredients. It's good. You could eat a tomato. I've, even, I've seen some people bite into an onion, I guess. <laughs> I have a wife, so I'm definitely not doing that. Um, but a raw vegetable is only so good. And just because you have great ingredients doesn't mean you know what to do with them. The second part of cooking is technique. You got to know what you're doing. You got to know heats and seasoning and when to add it and when to flip and all this good stuff, what flavors go together and all of that. So no matter how good your ingredients are, if you don't know what to do with it, it's just a vegetable. We're talking about faith this morning. And I think that many of us are like that with our faith. We know it. We've heard messages on faith. We've been around the church. We know the Bible verses on faith. Speak to a mountain, move from here. By faith, all things are possible, etc., etc. We've got on our spiritual spice rack all the elements of a great Christian life. We got it all up there on the shelf. We just don't know what to do with it. We've been getting all this knowledge, getting all this information, getting all this impartation, and we're just adding it to the shelf. And it's sitting up there. We've got the finest ingredients, but we're not sure what to do with it. I think that's what's happening in this story. Because in this story, Jesus has just come down off the Mount of Transfiguration. He's up there with Peter, James, and John. They're standing before God, and Moses and Elijah appear, and, and Jesus is glowing, and it's this incredible moment, and he comes down off the mountain. And his disciples are at the center of an argument with a man. And Jesus comes down, he says, what is going on here? And the man says, you know, my son is sick. He foams, he seizes, he throws himself into fire, sometimes into water. I don't know what else to do, so I, so I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And Jesus goes, man, you faithless, you twisted generation. He's not talking to the father. He's talking to the disciples. They ask him later, why couldn't we cast that demon out? And he says, what, it's because of your little, your little faith. And that got me thinking, because I've heard, or I've read in scripture, Jesus say, oh, you of little faith, because of your little faith, have you no faith? And I've also read, and I've also heard, Jesus commend people for their great faith. Oh, woman, you of great faith. By faith you have been made, uh, by faith you have been healed. And I'm going, he uses both of these. When does he use them? Why does he use them? So I studied through the gospels. I looked, I looked through the four gospel accounts and here's what I discovered. Jesus only ever rebukes his disciples for not having enough faith. Ain't that interesting? His disciples have seen the miracles. His disciples have spent time with the person of Jesus. His disciples have heard the message preached day in and day out. They've seen lame get up and walk. They've seen leper skin just transform before their eyes. Peter literally walked on water three chapters before this. And Jesus is saying, man, you don't have faith. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning and a disciple of Jesus Christ, 
There ought to be a little quiver in your boots like there was in mine when I came upon this revelation. Because <laughs> I read it thinking uh, maybe there's a, there's, a, there's a secret ingredient. There's maybe, maybe there's something here that, that when the disciples don't have faith, the reality is it's, it's those who know him best. It's almost like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, that knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. It's almost like too much knowledge puffs up our thinking, inflates ourselves. And to the ones who are seeking Jesus, the ones who are desperate for him, the ones who are at the end of their ropes, the ones who just need a miracle, just need Jesus to be who he said he was. Like if you could just be who everyone says you are, I know my son would be healed. Jesus says, you have, you have great faith. You have incredible faith. And if that's you this morning, you're not sure what kind of faith you have. You're not sure if you believe Jesus is who he says he is, but you're seeking him. Let me tell you, that's faith that God honors. That's faith that God sees. And that faith, that's faith that God will, will respond to. He tells his disciples, you got a faith problem. And I think that's probably going to be true for many of us then. If it's true for them, I mean, they ate and shared meals and, and journeyed with Jesus, and yet they didn't have faith. So we're going to examine this morning, what faith is and what faith isn't, to see how we can get to the root of this problem in our own lives. Um, I think that for many of us, faith is something that only happens in our minds. Faith is a mental state we are either in or we're not in. I either believe it or I don't believe it. I either feel it or I don't feel it. And we think that, that faith is just kind of something that's intangible, something you can't really put your finger on, you can't really dial into. It just kind of happens. Like, we think faith is, 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 an, is a mental or an emotional state we've got to whip ourselves up into to get rallied up and charged up so that we'll have faith. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, because I was in worship today. And I needed that. <laughs> and I think many of y'all needed that too. So sometimes I need the music. And I need the shouting pastor. And I need someone to exhort with confidence over my life the truth of God. But I'm here to tell you that that's not all that faith is. Faith is not just a mental state we whip ourselves up into. Faith is much more than that. It's an experience we have based on the choices that we make. In Hebrews, the author gives a very beautiful and kind of challenging definition of faith. If you've been around church for a while, I'm sure you've heard this. And if you've not, let me encourage you to memorize this. This is a great one-liner on faith. Many of us know this version. It's the ESV. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not Seen. Yeah, there it is. I actually like the New King James version of this verse a little bit better. Translation is hard work, so it's not that one version is right and one is wrong, but I think that this version that they're, they're going to put up on the screen here helps me understand faith a little bit more. In the New King James version, Hebrews 11.1 1 reads, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the, it's the evidence of things not seen. Now, when you think of substance and you think of evidence, are you 
Is that something you see in your mind or something you hold in your hands? Hands. Substance. Evidence. You think of police collecting evidence. You think of the substance of something, the weight of it, the reality, the tension of it. Something that you can hold in your hands. And what the author here is saying is that faith is tied to our hope, our hope for what may come in the future. And how do you know that I have hope for something that may come in the future? Well, you can see the reality of it in the way I live today. It's the substance. It's the weight. It's the reality of my life now pointing to what I believe is going to come tomorrow. It's the evidence of something you can't see. Listen, I've read in my Bible in Revelation that one day he will wipe away every tear from every eye and there will be neither death no more nor suffering anymore. And yet I have, I have grieved with many of you. And I have overseen funerals for people far, far too soon. Great men and women in this church. And so I hold intention, what I know to be true about Scripture, what God says is coming for us. And the substance and the reality of what I know to come is the way I walk through it today. So yes, I grieve and I lament and I weep, and yet I hold on to the truth that I know, that this life is not the end for any of us. And you see my faith in what I do today. It evidences something we can't see. The Bible talks about that at the end of all times, every tongue and every tribe and every nation shall, shall worship the name of the Lord. This beautiful picture of multicultural, multi-ethnic unity surrounding the throne of Jesus. We're all together. We worship in unison. And yet, we have sat in this church and talked about injustices and racial disparity and disunity, and brokenness. How do I evidence my belief for what I know is coming one day in the future? How I live today. How I fight for unity and reconciliation today. How I suffer and grieve through injustice with you today. That is my faith for what I know is coming in the future. It's the substance of what you're hoping for. It's the evidence of what, of what you can't see. Um, Tim Mackey, who's the Bible Project guy, if you've ever seen the Bible Project, if not, YouTube the Bible Project and spend a week in it. Um, that's what I did. He has a definition for faith that I, that I absolutely love. He says that faith is action that begins by thinking it through. Faith is action that begins when we think it through. What he's saying is that faith is not untethered, wishful thinking, but it's rooted in something. You see, there's a fine line between faith and foolishness, and that line is evidence or reason. There's a fine line between faith and foolishness, okay? And the line between them is reason or it's evidence. If I told you in all conviction with all sincerity and with all faith and all emotion and all passion that a purple unicorn is about to come down this aisle and give us all gold bars. You're going to laugh at me, but I believe it. Y'all don't have faith. I believe. 
Half of y'all would leave in the service, and the other half would politely wait till it was over, and, and then you'd leave. <laughs> and you would be right to do that, because that's not faith. That's foolishness. That's madness. There's no evidence for that. There's no reason that that would happen. We have no justification that that's a thing that would actually take place. Faith is action. It begins when we think it through. Let me illustrate this with Sarah. In Hebrews 11, after that beautiful definition, the author goes on to give us what we call the hall of faith. It's like the hall of fame, but of people of faith. Great men and women in the Bible who have uh, great displays of faith, great testimonies of faith. And Sarah was Abraham's wife. Abraham was the one that God chose out of all of humanity. And he plucked him out and he said, I'm going to redeem my people through you. I'm making a covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your descendants will number as the stars in the skies. I will make you a nation of priests. And kings will come out of you. And nations will come out of you. And we know Sarah was barren and had no children. But here's what Hebrews 11.11 says about Sarah. It says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. How did Sarah get the faith to conceive? She considered She thought about who made the promise. And she thought about, I know I'm older. I know I'm past my day. But I know that he promised me. And I know that he called me. And I know that his word is good. And I know that he is good. I know that he is faithful to me. And I know that when he speaks, things just spring up creatively. Earth just happens. Form just happens. Life just happens. So when I think about who God is, I've got some faith that begins to rise up in me. So my question this morning is what do you know about God? Is he good? Is he faithful to you? Has he been fair to you and kind to you? Are you here this morning? Are you breathing good air in your lungs? Maybe you're sitting next to your spouse or you got your kids here today or something. You got great friends in your life or, or something. Has not God placed you in a place where people can speak into your life and give you peace and hope for the future? Is that not the same God of the Bible who spoke at creation, whose word doesn't return void? Is that not the same God? So if I think that through, and I spend some time on it, and I meditate on it, oh man, I feel faith. I feel faith begin to rise in me. I feel it begin to bubble up inside of me. I begin to, I begin to. But it can't stop there. Faith begins when we think it through. But it can't end there. Some of us have the right ingredient. We've thought it through. We know faith. We know the good kind of faith, that gospel faith, that scripture faith. But we don't know what to do with it. Others of us, (laughs) we have essence of vanilla faith. You know what essence of vanilla is? I didn't either until I accidentally bought some at the grocery store. My wife said, what in the world is this? And I said, it's vanilla extract, I guess. She said, are you crazy? Essence of vanilla is like if a, if like a vanilla bean sneezed in a glass of water and they sold it to you. It got like no flavor in it, man. 
Some of us have essence of vanilla faith. We have a wafting of faith. We have a breath of faith. We have a sneeze of faith. But what we need in the house is pure vanilla extract faith. Drawn from the source. Extracted from the word. That good stuff. That good vanilla. You put a teaspoon of that in your pancake mix. Blow your mind. It's the McGraw family recipe right there. That's, that's just for you this morning. We need that good faith and we need to know what to do with it because faith is action. We got to think it through, but we need obedience that leads to action because listen, it's not called a think of faith. It's not called a believe of faith. It is called a step of faith. It is called a walk of faith. It is sometimes called a leap of faith. It's something that we do, not just something that we, that we think. Let me illustrate it. Let me illustrate it like this. Um, this is not a trick question. I will ask for your participation. Um, is there a stool behind me? Okay. Uh, what if I just really believed that there was one? I hear you. But I just believe in faith. That when I lean back, I'm going to get caught on this stool. Is that faith or is that foolishness? And why is that foolishness? All of you just told me there's nothing up here. There's no evidence that I have to base that off of. You have seen someone sit on a stool on this stage. You know what it looks like. I have been up here for about 20 minutes and nobody ever brought a stool out here or put one up here and you're confirming that for me. So that's not faith, that's foolishness. But what if there was a stool up here? Hmm. What if, what if there was a stool up here? Is there, is there a stool up here? There is. Can I see it? But do I have a good reason to believe it's there? And what is that reason? All of you. So what you're telling me is that I've got a community of faith around me. I've got people in my life around me who can see something that I can't see and are going to testify to me that there's something that I can put my life on, that I can sit on and stand on. It's going to hold me up. You're telling me that's what's happening? Man, small group Sunday is next week. But y'all, this is why we need to be in community. This is why there are things God is doing in your life that you can't see, that you don't know is there. But there are some people in your life that can see it in you, that can call it out of you, that can direct your steps. And we sometimes just need to listen to it. So is there a stool up here? Now, listen, I love all of you and I trust you. I really do. But there's just a lot of you. And I know one person who has spent a lot of time on a stool in this church. Week in and week out. And he's been held up by it. Never once has I seen the man fall from his stool. He has sat there with grace and dignity. And every week, it holds him up. So, Pastor Brett, they all told me there's a stool, and I believe it. Could you guide me to it? Is it this way? Is it this way? Okay, one, this, one step this way. Oh, a little bit more. Okay. And just back a little bit. Okay, right here. You sure? If I fall on this stage, I'm quitting. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So you're telling me there's a stool behind me. And I can believe it's there because I have the testimony of a great cloud of witnesses around me who have testified to it because they've seen a man place his life on it and it's held him up. And so I got somebody that I really trust and I really look up to disciple me towards it and lead me to it. And now I'm here. I think I'm right on the verge of it. I believe it. No, I'm not going to sit on it though. Now, ain't that funny? Ain't that interesting? If I don't sit on this stool, we all go home unhappy and unfulfilled. Going, something is wrong here. I mean, he was right there. Take a seat. I still can't see it. It's not faith if you don't do something about it. It's just not faith until you do something about it. So here I stand. I'm trying to keep my feet planted so I don't get off track here. I've thought it through. I've heard the testimony of the cloud around me who have said it's there. I've got a man who I trust who has led me to it. And I believe in faith. I believe. I think it's there. But until I transfer my trust onto it, until I do something about it, I don't have any faith. And as I sit here on this stool, I have this experience. I have this feeling that I'm being held up. I'm being lifted up. I'm being supported by my God. Man, it can't not one of you tell me it's not there. Not a one of you. I had to do something. I had to step. I had to act. And in many ways, I still can't see what's beneath me. I've never looked. I'm just taking your word for it. I could very well be floating in air. (laughs) I don't think I am, but I could be. But what I did was I got some people in my life who have been there before, who have walked this walk before. I've listened to them. I've read that book and I've studied it. And I've challenged it. And I've gone to God with my doubts. I promise you I have. And I have wrestled with him. And I have challenged him. And I have asked him to prove himself faithful to me. I have not known which way to turn. And I have sought him. And I have asked for help. And now I've put my faith on him. And let me tell you what. He is lifting me up. And he is supporting me. And my faith is not going to waver. It's not going to be challenged because I know my God is real. And not one of you can tell me Jesus ain't get up out that grave and conquer sin and death because I have experienced it in my own life. We talk about put your faith on it. I'm not talking about some emotional state. We're just going to get to get you clap louder and cheer louder. Putting your faith on it is looking at the work of Christ on a cross, considering his death, his burial in a tomb, and yet he got up and walked out of it three days later. He's conquered sin and death. He's given us the opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit in our lives, which will transform us from the inside out. I've seen it in other men and women. I've lived it in my own life, and I've experienced it for myself. Now, there's a third part about cooking that's really important. (laughs) 
<laughs> you got to have great ingredients. And you got to have good technique. You got to know what you got to do with it. But some of you know, sometimes you need a secret ingredient or a family recipe. Sometimes you need that hidden away thing that you don't tell anybody else about. But it just adds a spice to it. It adds the flavor to it. It adds something to it, right? It's the secret ingredient. Let's look back at our text in Matthew 17. Jesus heals this boy. And the disciples say, why can't, why can't we do that? And where are we at? Verse 19. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Seeds, mustard seeds, but most seeds are small, right? (laughs) So in a sense, Jesus is saying, you of little faith should have little faith. That can't be right. That just that can't be right. Maybe he's saying, you of little faith, if you just had a little faith, that might be right. I don't think Jesus is talking about the quantity of our faith, how much we have. I think Jesus is talking about the quality of it and what's inside of it, what is motivating it, what is inspiring it. Because do you know what's in a mustard seed? What's in a mustard seed is the same thing that's in every other seed. The promise of life. The promise of something to come. What's inside a mustard seed is God's spoken word at creation. When he ushered out his commands and life began to flourish and plants and animals and trees and oceans and breeze and seas and we're rhyming. All of that (laughs) ushered when God spoke his word. And inside a seed is the spoken word of God speaking to a promise that is yet to come. So what is inside of your faith? What promise or what word from God is inside of your faith? Because that's the secret ingredient. If we are motivating faith on our own experience, if we're motivating faith by a way that we feel, If we're motivating faith by our circumstances, a good day, I got a lot of faith, happy to be in the house of the Lord. That is never going to fulfill anything in you. But this word that I've got is alive and it is active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It will cut between bone and marrow and it is full of the promises of God that he has spoken to us. And if this is not the center of your faith, what's driving your faith, what's motivating your faith, you got little faith. So what promise did God speak to you? What word has he spoken over your life? What have you forgotten that he said? I think a lot of us, man, we've been around here too long. We forgot. Seasons are long. Days are long. Life is hard. And we've forgotten what he spoke to us once. And because we haven't seen it yet, we've moved on. (laughs) But he is a rock and a sure salvation. Is what Jesus is. Some of us need to be reminded and to remind ourselves of the promise that God spoke over us. Others of us are like the father. 
Mark also tells the story. We read the gospel account of Matthew. In Mark 9, Mark tells the story, and honestly, the only reason I didn't use it is because it's almost twice as long, and that's a lot of material to cover on a Sunday. But there's one thing I wanted to highlight from Mark's version of this story. Mark just adds detail. He gives us more insight into the conversation. When the Father comes to Jesus, he says these words. This is Mark 9, uh, 22. He says, If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. (laughs) Has there ever been a more relatable sentence uttered in scripture than a father at the end of his rope, desperate for his child? No other option. No other place to go. In fact, the disciples just proved they couldn't do it. You know, This to me is more powerful than Jesus calling them a faithless generation. This to me is more powerful than when Jesus rebukes the demon and says, you deaf and mute spirit, come out of that boy. This is more powerful to me than when Jesus says, all things are possible for him who believes. This is more powerful to me than Jesus saying, you can tell a mountain, move from here to there. What compels me, what stirs my heart, what makes me feel is a father, desperate and seeking, saying things that I've said to God. Lord, I believe in my mind. I do. Man, I say it in church. I I do. God, I I believe here, but I, I can't get myself to do anything about it. I can't get my actions and my mind to sync up. They're pulling me in different directions. So God, I believe, but you've got to help. You've got to help my unbelief. And church, let me tell you, that's a prayer that God will answer every time. That's a prayer God will honor every time. That when we come to him, God, I believe, but you got to help. But you got to help the parts of me that don't. He will. He will. He will. What do we have to do? (laughs) we got to put our faith on him. We've got to trust him to do what he said that he would do. So what do we know? We know that if Jesus was hung on a cross, pierced in his side, knees broken, or knee, no, they didn't break his knees. No bone shall be broken. But he was dead. Wrapped in claws, laid in a tomb. Three days later, he spontaneously rises up and walks out, appears to many, Spends, he tells us he goes to the gates of hell and defeats it for us. That all who would believe in him should have life and life eternal. If we believe that, and if we know that, and we know that one day in glory, there is a world that's coming where we're restored one to another. So steal on my thunder. Bless God. Oh, that's what we know. We know there's a day coming. 
where all men will be reconciled one into the other, that there will be no disparity, where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, every tribe, every nation, every people will dine at the wedding feast of the Lamb together in unity with Jesus before us. If we know that is coming tomorrow, what do we do in our faith today? At some point, we've got to transfer our trust onto Christ and believe that he is who he said he is. We've got to think it through. We've got to think it through. We've got to challenge ourselves. We've got to challenge God and allow that to inspire obedience that leads us to action.